What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Next Level Freedom Church podcast. My name is Trenton Cruz. I'm the lead pastor of Next Level Freedom Church in Jackson, Missouri. If you're seeking a church family that can help you grow in your relationship with Christ, or maybe you just want to check us out online, be sure to check out our website, www.nextlevelfreedomchurch.com. I hope today's episode will inspire you and encourage you as you fulfill the destiny God has for your life and fulfill your divine purpose in God's master plan. Thanks for tuning and God bless. I met Lisa through John actually. Lisa done an interview on a one of the podcast shows we have called Unified and she gave her testimony. And many people have listened to that podcast and many people have heard that testimony and I imagine maybe some of you here tonight have heard her testimony and that's why you're here but God's been doing something big, hasn't he, Lisa? And he's been working on her all week. I've been getting messages for the last couple of weeks or whatever. She's excited about what God's doing. So um, I'm not going to tarry long. I'm going to go ahead and turn this over to her, um, give her a chance to set up her Bible. But will you please welcome Lisa Lambert? Good evening. You notice I've got this on. Jesus is a healer. And I prayed and other people were praying for me for it to be healed. And I heard him say, it's a heart attitude. And I'm like, I'm like, I really had to think about that and examine that. And it's deep down inside. I don't want to be healed because I'm enjoying my time off of work and spending it with him. Amen. All right. There we go. <laughs> That's the truth. Yeah. Yeah. So I told him I'd just as soon uh, just uh, set it out so I could be at home with him. So, amen. Uh, so, Father God, I just, uh, I just pray, Lord, that you just use me to speak these words that you've given me. And, Lord, I thank you that you went out before me. You've prepared the hearts of the people. Lord, that every person that's here is the people who's supposed to be here. Father God, I thank you for the love that you have allowed me to experience, Lord, so that I can testify of your goodness and who you really are, Lord. Let me be a pure and holy representation of who you really are, Lord. And I thank you, Lord, that you have allowed me to experience and go through the things that I have went through, Lord, so that I have a heart for the people and that my heart is broken for the people and that I stand in the gap for them, Lord. And Lord, I thank you for your Holy Spirit always. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, The Lord has really worked on me this. Been doing heart surgery. I don't know if any of you know what I mean by that. Um, When... uh, I got saved. You know, when you get saved, your spirit's new. You know? But my soul was wounded from the things that I suffered. And I didn't know that. And it kept me in bondage still. Even though I was saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, I was still in bondage. And I couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. And um, so anyway, this has been a process. And he's still healing things. And this message that he's given me tonight is my testimony. And um, it was a different avenue. There's so much to my testimony because I didn't know the Lord for 42 years. So you can imagine there was a lot of my testimony that I went through and suffered and did before I knew the Lord. So um, this is what he's given me. I'm going to start out with 1 John 4.16. And uh, there's two different versions I'm going to read. Common English Bible. We have known... And have believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And those who remain in love remain in God. And God remains in them. I'm going to read the New International Reader's Version for 1 John 4.16. So we know that God loves us. We depend on it. I love that. We depend on it. God is love. Anyone who leads a life of love shows he is joined to God and God is joined to him. I didn't know and I didn't believe and I didn't trust anybody loved me. 
I was born into a home that was full of addictions, fears, bitterness, violence, and sexual perversions. I could have easily blamed my parents and others, but that would have not been the truth. The truth is that my enemy was and still is Satan. Both my parents were afflicted in their own souls from being hurt, abandoned, and abused themselves. So everything they did to me and for me was filtered through those hurts and fears and insecurities, and they ended up hurting me and instilling me the same hurts and fears that was in them. Those hurts and wounds festered in me into a place of anger, resentment, bitterness, and even hate and rage toward myself and others. I believe, as the saying goes, hurt people hurt people. I was physically abused, sexually abused, emotionally abused. Every sense of the word abuse, I was abused. John 10.10 says that the thief comes only in order to steal, kill, and destroy. And I, meaning Jesus, came to give life and that they may have it more abundantly. So the thief was an operation in my home when I was a child. And he had been diligently at work in my parents' childhood as well to steal, kill, and destroy from them also. Satan continued to steal, kill, and destroy in, the lives, in their lives as they were adults until I met Jesus Christ for myself, the one and only that had promised I came to give them life and give it more abundantly. This is my testimony, but it has become so much more than a testimony. To me, it's a love story. It's a love story of how the creator of the universe loved me and still loves me and has always loved me. How he pursued me from the depths of hell with an everlasting love before I even knew who he was. A love so powerful and unending that a real enemy came to destroy it. Satan came to do everything he could to keep me from finding out that I actually had someone that loved me for me and wanted me and that I was chosen. Psalm 139, 13 through 14 says, For you formed me in my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. We are all fearfully and wonderfully made by God and for God. We were created to love and to be loved. The devil hates us for it. Do not be mistaken. We have a real enemy. It's not our parents. It's not our co-workers. It's not our guardians. It's Satan. I believe he tries to use us as weapons against God and each other. And this is what I've learned from my testimony and the healing process he's taken me through. I want to reference Job 1.11. Satan went before God and he said to God, but put forth your hand now, touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. Satan works really hard to set up situations for us to curse God to his face, to blame him, to not trust him, which I believe grieves God because he loves us so very much. He sent his only son to die for us. This is exactly what happened to me. Because the circumstances of my childhood and my parents' upbringing, I cursed God to his face. I mocked God to the point I chose to not even believe in him. And I chose to mock and ridicule Christians as well. I believe the two greatest weapons that Satan used to do this in my life is rejection and offense. Why? Because both are detrimental. They stripped me of my true identity they made me believe that no one loved me and would ever love me. They caused me to be self-centered, full of bitterness, resentment, and unforgiveness, which led me into a life of self-destruction, drugs, alcoholism, blaming everyone, especially my parents, judging others, and ultimately shutting out the love that I was always created to receive and give. Satan knows the word of God better than we do. Do not be mistaken by that. He knows that unforgiveness, the refusal to forgive, will send us straight to hell. Do not be fooled. He will set up all kinds of ways for us to be hurt, offended, angry, and bitter with each other and with God and lie to us and tell us that we have a right to hate and to not forgive the ones who have hurt us. When we take offense and we hold on to the wrong or the injustices done to us, we are watering and feeding a seed of unforgiveness and rejection, and it roots in our hearts until we become bitter, resentful, hateful people. This is who I grew up to be. I hated myself, my parents, and a God that I didn't even know. 
I'm going to share with you pieces of my life before Christ, during Christ, and after Christ. Like I said earlier, 42 years of not knowing God, I couldn't even go begin to even go into a fourth of the things that I've experienced and the Lord has brought me through and run me back through to teach me something so that I can teach others who he really is. But I prayed over this, I sought him, and I believe this is exactly the parts of my testimony and my life that he wants to share tonight for whoever is here. I think everybody that's here is supposed to be here. I believe that because I believe in my God. I'm also going to share personal revelations that the Lord God has given me through the truth of his word, through my healing experiences, through him healing a lot of those soul wounds. And it's by knowing the truth that we are set free. And it's by knowing the truth I am set free. John 8, 31, 32 says, So Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, number one, hold fast to my teachings, number two, and live in accordance with them, number three, you are truly my disciples. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I think sometimes we read that last part, but we forgot all about the three parts above that. You'll know, you'll be set free, but there's a, there's a stipulation there. John eight thirty six says, so if the son, meaning Jesus, liberates you, makes you free men, then you are really and unquestionably free. We are only set free to the degree of truth from God's word that we know. And the only way to know that truth is to be committed to reading the word of God every day so that we can be set free. It is by abiding in his word, abiding in Jesus. Jesus himself just said, abide in my word, hold fast to my teachings, live in accordance to them, and then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. How do we know what his word says? What are his teachings? How do we live by them? And what happens if we live by them? And what happens if we choose not to live by them? I pray that my testimony of these choices that I made and my parents make speaks very loudly, honestly, and clearly to you that every decision we make is vital and it affects everyone around us, including our children and our grandchildren. Hosea 4, 6 says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you. That you shall be no priest to me. Seeing you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. How many times do we quote the first part of that? My people die for lack of knowledge, but we don't quote the last part. Pretty strong, isn't it? But it's true, and I'm going to prove it to you. Because of my parents' life choices and my life choices, this verse became a reality in the lives of my parents, my own child, and myself. My mom chose the worldly path, even though she was raised under the teaching of the Word of God. And therefore, her children suffered too. The warning here is very clear. Every day we have choices. Will we choose life or death? Every choice affects our children and our grandchildren too. Do not be fooled. My mom and her sister were brought up in a church by a single mother, my grandmother Ethel. My grandpa died when my mom was two years old. My grandpa was a compulsive gambler, and he had a brother who was an ordained priest, a preacher. And not only uh, after my grandfather died, my uh, grandfather's brother, Paul, who was an ordained preacher, had came in after his brother had passed away and raped my grandmother in front of my mother when she was a child. Then years later, there was a tent meeting in Franklin County, Illinois, that my grandma attended. And though she was raised Southern Baptist and was raised to not believe in the infilling of the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in tongues, she was filled with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Acts 2, 4 says all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave utterance. My mom had told me the story of my grandma being filled with the Holy Spirit and she set out to tell everyone it was true. She was so happy that uh, God does fill with the Holy Spirit and that she experienced speaking in tongues for herself. Unfortunately, her family and friends denied it and shunned her. There came rumors of my grandma being kicked in the head by a mule, and therefore that explained her unusual behavior. 
So here's my mom, very young and impressionable. Her dad dies when she's two years old. She witnesses her uncle, who's a preacher, rape her mom, then witnesses family, friends, and church members treat her mom in a way that was very disrespectful. And then are rumors about her mom all over town being mentally ill. And as you can imagine, this put a bad taste in my mom's mouth for anything to do with God or church. And to top things off, they suffered great poverty because of not having a two-parent household. Her entire childhood, my mom and her sister had received one gift their entire life. And it was a homemade rag doll made out of yarn. And she said they cherished those dolls. Satan had come in to steal, kill, and destroy. But my grandma Ethel stood firm and continued to serve the Lord through all of that, even with the commitment that she never dated or married another man, even though her husband died, and she could have very well done so. She committed her life to live for the Lord, no matter what anybody thought, said. She was 46 years being single. She was 30 years old when she was widowed. However, when my mom became an adult, she chose the worldly path because the enemy had come in to steal, kill, and destroy and plant seeds of rejection and lies in her mind, and she made a choice. She made a choice to seek people, money, alcohol, and drugs instead of God, and when I grew up, I did the same thing. Through allowing the Holy Spirit into the deepest parts of my heart, through seeking him in times of anger, confusion, and hurt, through disciplining myself and committing myself to get in the word of God every day, the Lord has revealed and healed a huge amount of what the devil plagued me with for years. The word of God has also brought down many strongholds of wrong thinking and also allowed me a very special time to see into my own parents' lives. So I saw the real enemy, the real enemy, and it wasn't my parents, even though for years I thought it was, and I hated them for it. God reveals to heal Satan reveals to steal. My dad also had been grossly physically abused as a child. His father beat him, ridiculed him. Being raised on a farm, he also had to grow up fast. He had to wake up at 3, sometimes 4 a.m. every day and work. According to my mom, he had strived all of his life to get his dad's love, which never happened. They were extremely poor, too. He also served in the war, so he also, too, had his hurts, wounds, fears, and rejection. So here are my parents, both wounded, neglected, abused, and left to feel unloved. They never received love, so how could they possibly give it? Satan thrives on this. He is well aware that love is the most powerful weapon we have. I know we talk about, the word is, don't get me wrong, prayer, the blood, but love, love is the most powerful weapon we have. And Satan will do everything and anything he can to keep us from loving and being loved. For most of my life, I did blame my parents until I had a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this process of allowing the Holy Spirit to bring love into the places I hid from for so long and was terrified to uncover, I was able to truly forgive my parents and release them. I was not raised in church. My mom had allowed the weapons of rejection and offense in her own childhood to make her choose a worldly path instead of seeking God and the truth of his word. Mom began to form her own opinions also and started accepting others' opinions and answers as to who God was and why things happen. She soon adopted various sayings and would say them all my childhood and coin them as being in the Bible, quote, I remember the most famous one of all was she would always say, God only helps them that helps themselves. And I remember growing up thinking, I am trying. Where is this God and why isn't he helping me? I'm helping myself. It wasn't until I got saved in 2011 and started reading the word of God for myself that I found out that this was never even in the Bible. When I explained that to her, she argued with me and said she knew exactly what was in the Bible. How many of us say we know what's in the Bible? We, we've never even read it from cover to cover. We can't afford to go by what others tell us what the Bible says. We cannot allow our eternal destination to be chosen by others' opinions or our own opinion. 
I would not ask somebody who lives in New York City to give me directions from Cape Girardeau to St. Louis. My mom had a baby boy and was forced to give him up at adoption when he was 16 months old. Years later, she met another man and had another baby boy who died from electrocution while she was at work. He, too, was also 16 months old. Years later, she had another baby. He was taken from her as a child due to excessive drinking and fighting in the home. Then she had two miscarriages and a surgical procedure and was told she'll never have another child again. Years later, I was conceived. Miracle birth, obviously. God chose me, and Satan hated me for it. God chose you, and Satan hates you for it. Ephesians 1, 4 through 5 says, Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and blameless in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him pleasure is that not beautiful? All my life I had tried to search for something, somebody, attention-seeking, anything, sexual promiscuity, everything, cutting myself, burning myself, addiction, wanting to be loved so desperately, and it was here all alone. It was here all along. But I never had anybody to point me there because my mom chose a different path. So don't be fooled. Every choice we make affects our children and our grand grandchildren. We are chosen and handpicked by Father God himself. He calls us sons and daughters because this makes him happy. <laughs> and Satan does not want us to know this. <laughs> Satan tried to stop my conception. Then immediately after being bored, I almost died. I was raped at 16 months old. And as a child, I suffered great emotional, physical, mental, and sexual abuse at the hands of men and women. Some of those that were sexually and emotionally abusing me were close friends of the family, and some were family members themselves. I remember being fearful all the time. I remember always thinking that there must be something wrong with me. I had a friend that used to beat me up when I was in grade school every day after school, but I called her my best friend because she was the only one that could tolerate to be around me when I was a child because I was so awkward and obnoxious as a kid that no one wanted to even be around me unless they were abusing me. When I would spend the night with her, her older brother would sneak in, my, in her room and get me and take me into his room. At one time, I remember an older lady living with us. When my mom and dad would leave me with her, her boyfriend would come over and they would put me in the trunk of the car, threaten me to keep my mouth shut, go to the drive-in in West Frankfort, Illinois, and then let me out, and they would sit in the fr make me sit in the front seat while a pornographic movie was playing on the screen and they were having sex in the back seat. I remember one of my mom's best friends, Carol, came to live with us. And her boyfriend, they called him Mountain Man, and he shot our house up. And then weeks later, he kicked the door in and beat her up. I remember another one of my mom's friends would come over, and her 17-year-old son, when I was 12, was sexually abusing me. I remember my mom and dad fighting all the time. I was so used to violence, it was nothing for me to see fistfights, stabbings, gun sh guns, nothing. I remember when I was about eight years old, my mom and dad got into an argument. My mom went into the bedroom and came out with a gun, and I merely got up and turned the TV up and plugged my ears because I thought, oh, well, she's going to shoot him. Um, he actually, she did shoot him. He didn't die. A huge part of myself died that night. I believe a huge part of myself was walking around dead for a long time. God will not go against our will. He will not make us live our lives according to what is best for us. And my mother chose that path. And because of that, we all suffered. And when we choose our own ways, we will definitely reap what we've sown. I know that God had to be constantly knocking at my mom and dad's heart's door. I believe that with all my heart. And I know that for a fact. I believe he was pursuing them to repent and turn from their ways so that he could intervene more for us than he already was. God wants and desires us as his children, not his robots. He wants to partner with us, not rule over us. That's why when we are saved, our spirit cries out, Abba, Father, because he's our daddy. 
because of the horrors I went through as a child and because I was not raised to know God for who he really was, it was easy for me to blame him and then ultimately believe that he never existed because how could a good God allow something like that to happen? You may be asking why I'm sharing this with you because my enemy was never my parents and your enemy is not your parents. Our enemy has always been and will always be Satan and the kingdom of darkness. One of Satan's strategies is to get us into a place of hurt, fear, anger, resentment, bitterness, and unforgiveness. The devil knows when we get into that place, then everything that happens in our lives will be filtered through those hurts, fears, resentments, bitterness, and anger, and unforgiveness. He created strongholds of wrong beliefs. That's another thing Satan does. He will create strongholds of wrong beliefs, and he did, about God, about myself, about others. Wrong beliefs about how to treat myself, how to treat others, and how others should treat me. Satan knows that these hurts and offenses are open doors for him and his entourage to kick the door in and come in and terrorize our families, our jobs, our monies, everything. <clears throat> he will even deceive us straight into the pits of hell. I did not know this until I read the Bible for myself and was involved with a good foundational church. I had believed that I was justified in holding on to all kinds of bitterness, hate, resentment, and unforgiveness toward my parents and those who hurt me. And that was my excuse. Do you know what they did to me? Do you know what they did to me? Do you know what I lived through? You don't understand. Oh, praise God. He does. <laughs> Matthew six fourteen through 15. I'm going to read the amplified version because I love this scripture and this version. This was big conviction. For if you forgive others their trespasses, their reckless and willful sins... Your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their reckless and willful sins, nurturing your hurt and anger with the result that interferes with your relationship with God, then your father will not forgive you your trespasses. Do not be fooled. You cannot enter the kingdom of heaven and hate your brother. It is not going to happen. And Satan is trying, the spirit of offense is rampant right now. Rampant. And I truly believe what he's shown me through my own healing process. In the flesh, I could be justified all day long to hold unforgiveness and resentment in my heart for what happened to me. But it'll send me to hell. It'll send me to hell. Check it out for yourself. Do your own study. Don't take my word for it. I found it fascinating that when I sought forgiveness, I was absolutely broken and desired to be forgiven so I could live life and enjoy life and have peace and love. But yet I wasn't willing to let anybody else have that opportunity, especially not my parents. And the reality that woke me up and set me free from that stronghold of wrong thinking was when my daughter... When I had to face the reality of what I had done to my own child. That I had abandoned and neglected and abused my own child. And I went to her to ask her for forgiveness. And I was so broken and I desired that forgiveness more than anything. <laughs> more than anything. And her look at me and tell me I hate you. This was years ago and I'll never forget that. And I remember bawling, going home and just curling up in the bed and crying out to God. God, please help me. And this is what he said to me. Do you believe your mother is broken and repentant of the choices she made with you? <laughs> Do you think that she experiences the same agony and torment in her mind and soul that you're experiencing? What gives you the right to withhold from her that which you so desperately seek? Yeah, I'll never forget that. And I was repenting and releasing and forgiving my mother. And this is when I broke. 
And I allowed the Lord to give me a revelation of what forgiveness really meant for my parents and the people who had hurt me. Do not think that Satan did not try to continue to create situations and words and actions by my mom to hurt me to a point where I would still get bitterness and unforgiveness in my heart because she wasn't saved yet, and I was. Praise God. I do remember uh, my parents making me go to uh, vacation Bible school, and I hated them for it. I resented them for it because I just knew that was their way of trying to get rid of me. (laughs) But in all honesty, as I've went through this healing process, I didn't know that. That was another thought planted in my mind by the enemy at an early age. And I truly believe now that this was one of those times that God was knocking on my parents' heart to try to make a way of escape for me that they did not have. I also believe it was a time that they didn't feel like they could go with me because they were under condemnation. I don't know about anybody else in here, but I have been under heavy condemnation at times and felt like I couldn't even step my foot back into a church after I had fell, whatever you want to call it. So I can't even imagine what my parents were going through. I now believe that my parents suffer great condemnation, especially my mom being raised in the truth, but now living a life completely opposite of the Word of God and watching it afflict her children and knowing the effects of her choices had a lot to do with the loss of her other three children. First John 1 John 1.9 in the Amplified says, If we freely admit that we have sinned and confess our sin, he is faithful and just, true to his nature and promises, and will forgive our sins and cleanse us continually from all unrighteousness, our wrongdoing, everything not in conformity with his will and purpose. If my parents, and I pray, I know my mom got saved on her deathbed, and I know my, my dad used to watch um, Jimmy Swaggart about a year before he died, and I just pray that my dad found that freedom, that he came across that verse, and that he believed He was able to let go all that stuff in him that was bitter and angry. And I pray to God that he was able to release all that and forgive himself and believe that the Lord Jesus Christ was enough to pay for his sins. It's the same game Satan plays with everyone. Condemnation while bringing to mind every reason why you can't be forgiven. (laughs) But it's a lie. We can be forgiven. Growing up the way I did, the devil had opportunity to constantly inject sick thoughts, wrong, strong mental holds in my mind. They don't love you. Nobody loves you. You're not lovable. There's something wrong with you. You should hate them for what they're doing to you. You're all alone. You'll never have anybody. You can't trust them. These were just some of the beginnings of very strongholds the devil would set up in my mind to believe that people were always out to get me and there was always an ulterior motive. Satan used those fears, hurts, and wounds of rejection and hatred for the people to steer me away, far away, into a place of illusion, an illusion that somehow I had special powers and abilities. As a child, I remember I was lying in my parents' bed, and I had my eyes closed, and I used to fantasize about having magical powers, like in the storybooks I read, magic wands, magic pumpkins, casting spells, changing my identity, being a villain and being a hero. I loved Superman, Wonder Woman, Scooby-Doo. And though something in me desired always to be the good guy, there was always something in me that felt sorry for the villain. I mean, I could relate to the poor, rejected, misunderstood, offended villain. No wonder he was so mean. So I was lying in my parents' bed, and I had left my body, and I floated around the room. I'll never forget it. I had seen stuff on TV that my mom watched all the time. Horror movies like Halloween, The Baby, and the Trilogy of Terror. So I was wondering if this was really real or not. My next thought was, why not test it? I gathered up socks, made them into balls, and laid them down on my parents' bed, and I covered my eyes and threw my body, my, threw my body and uh, flew through the room and found every wadded-up sock, made a mental note of exact place and position, then came back to my body, got up, and found that they were exactly where I had just found them. I was super excited. There was something special about me. But I had to keep it to myself because I couldn't trust nobody with it. This started a fascination and an eagerness and a desire in me to search out magical things, dark things. I remember in high school, a few of my friends and I would use a Ouija board in my friend's closet. 
I remember that after my dad died in 1984, we had a seance, and I asked the question, did my dad go to heaven or hell? And there was a metal cabinet screwed to the wall that completely come undone and slammed against the other side, and we all ran out screaming. Even though I was terrified and scared, I was still drawn even more to the spiritual realm. I began to have a strange battle build up within me between good and evil. I used to hear voices, and I'd see things, I'd hear things, I'd feel things. At the age of 12, I was getting drunk, smoking pot, stealing prescription pills out of my mom's purse and snorting them. I was stealing money out of my dad's pant pockets, not just a few dollars either. <laughs> they were $100 bills and $50 bills. And I would watch my parents fight over it. My mom thought that my dad was drinking her whiskey and putting water back in the bottle. And my dad thought my mom was stealing the money. They had no idea it was her 12-year-old daughter doing it. I was also attracted to the family Bible we had on the coffee table. I had to sneak to look at it because my mom would whip me and tell me to leave it alone. I don't want that tore up. I remember something drawing me to it all the time. So I would sneak up in the middle of the night and I would take it in my room and I would read it. I didn't even understand what it was saying, but I was attracted to the red letters. And I loved to look at the pictures of Jesus because he looked so loving. I know now because of the Lord showing me through the Holy Spirit that not only do we have generational curses, but we have generational blessings. And because my grandmother Ethel was faithful to the end, 2 Timothy 1.5 says, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, I am persuaded that it is in you also. And when I read that, it absolutely smacked me in the head. And the Lord spoke to me and said, your mother may not have been faithful to me, but your grandmother was and her mother before her and her parents before her. And I was like, wow, <laughs> there are generational blessings. I believe my grandmother Ethel continued determination to live for God against all odds that God was pursuing our family, just waiting for someone to answer the call. I was 18 when she died. And there is no doubt in my mind that God answered every prayer my grandmother prayed for me. Satan was aware of that blessing too, and that is why he worked so diligently to try and destroy my family and lead me into a dark deception and absolute pure wickedness. Looking back on all this now with the knowledge of the word of God, it grieves me to know how much Satan tormented my parents. I can honestly say that I do not blame either one of them at all. As a matter of fact, I sometimes have to fight back the sadness Today, actually, was a day that I had to fight that sadness back because I think of my parents and I think if they were alive today, how I would do everything I could to nurture them into knowing who Jesus really is and how much they're loved and forgiven. I developed the victim mentality and it caused me to believe my parents were horrible when in fact they merely did the best they knew how because they had been abused, hurt, and rejected themselves. They were casualties of a war, a real war, a spiritual war. I continued deeper into addictions of all kinds, suicide attempts, self-abuse, witchcraft. I even ran drugs over the Mexican border. Prostitution, anything and everything that I thought might bring me some comfort, joy, anything to make me forget or anything to make me into someone different. My life spiraled more and more out of control, and at one point in my life, I heard voices and had so many psychological problems that the doctors had me on psychotropics at the age of 16. By the time I was 30 years old, I was diagnosed with a list of things, including bipolar, borderline personality, with borderline psychosis. I moved to Cape Girardeau at the age of 18. I met my future husband, who taught me even more witchcraft. After dating for a while, he took me to Mississippi to meet his parents. Guess what? They were strict Bible-thumping Pentecostals. <laughs> we eventually moved south. I became pregnant, and we got married. I was miserable. I confessed my struggle with my mother-in-law. I had this internal struggle all my life that I was attracted to women, and I couldn't figure out what it was. So after I got married, a year after being married, I got drunk tried to kill myself and went to my mother-in-law who's a strict Pentecostal, no cut your hair, no makeup, and confessed to her I thought I was gay. <laughs> she told me Jesus loves me and that it was a sin, it was an abomination against God, and I just need to come to church. 
So what I do, I went to church. It didn't last very long. Didn't last very long at all because it seemed like the two months I was in that church, the struggle inside of me became so strong and real that I literally felt like I was going to go nuts. So at age 25, I left my husband with our three-year-old daughter, went back to my hometown, moved in with a woman and became a flat-out lesbian dyke. Came out wide out in the open. I was living with a woman for a few years and I was abusive to her. I wore nothing that pertained to a woman. I wore men's underwear. I wore men's cologne. There was nothing that I would wear pertaining to a woman. I wore no makeup, no jewelry. I wore a man's wallet with a chain. I had tattoos all over me. I wore wife beaters. I was a straight up dyke. Even at the point that I kept it to myself that at one point later in my life, I thought I needed to have a sex change. When I came back to Cape Girardeau, I had such a reputation in Cape Girardeau at the bars that I would have women come up to me and tap me on the shoulder. I would have another woman with me, and they would say, are you Lisa Lambert? And I would be like, yes, why? And they'd be like, oh, my gosh, will you take me home for the night? That's how much of a reputation I had. It was sickening. In 2011, my life was at a bottom that I had never experienced before. The Lord God and his love sent someone in my path with an invitation to a Celebrate Recovery meeting at Christ Church of the Heartland. Looking back over several years of my life in Cape Girardeau, God had already strategically placed me in his embrace because there were so many people from that church that was already praying for me, and I didn't even know it. Because I had been in a previous relationship with a woman for nine years that had left me and went to Christ Church of the Heartland and got delivered from homosexuality herself three years before I went there. So she had already planted the seed and they were already praying for me. And I didn't even know these people. Praise God. <laughs> Tell me God is not good. All right. So um, as you can imagine, I go to the Celebrate Recovery meeting. The Lord's working on me. Now I'm really in a battle. My mom turns against me. My kid turns against me. My girlfriend that I was with turned against me. And I was going to jump off the bridge. And I heard a voice tell me, walk to Christ Church of the Heartland. So I walked all the way. I was living in an apartment upstairs on Sprig Street in between Ford and Sons Funeral Home and the police station. And I walked from there to Christ Church of the Heartland at 720 Bertling. And when I walked in, there was just a few people in the front. They weren't even having a service. I figured out they were having a leadership meeting. And I was upset. So I sat there with my arms crossed. And Pastor Val Treese, this is in 2011, was teaching. And he stopped and he said, there's a spirit of homosexuality in here. And I don't have time to deal with it. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit deal with it. Well, I got offended. And I started to get up. And the Lord, I had never had an experience with the Lord. And he set me back down. And I was so encompassed with this feeling of, I don't even know how to explain it, like love, like something I had searched for all my life. And I heard an audible voice tell me, I love you. I did not create you to be like this. This is not who you are. I have a plan and purpose for you. This lifestyle is an abomination to me. He never told me I was. He said the lifestyle was. And then when he released off of me, they were discharging out of the meeting and my life was changed. There was, I wasn't even seeking, do you hear me? I had no conviction of how I was living. I was happy to be a dyke. I would argue with you. I believed the lie that I was born that way. I was not. I wasn't even, when I had went to the Celebrate Recovery meetings, I had went up to the altar and asked for forgiveness, but never did I ask for forgiveness for homosexuality because I never thought it was wrong. You can't tell me the power of God cannot reach you where you're at. Lord Jesus, nobody touched me. Nobody preached that you're going to go to hell because you're gay sermon. Nobody laid hands on me. The Lord God himself, and you know why I believe he did that? Is because I was so messed up into the dark stuff that the enemy would have sent someone to me that would have convinced me had to be something they did. 
Somebody had to do something. They invoked something on you or touched you. I think that's why he did that. There was nobody even around me. Nobody touched me. Nobody said anything to me. So nobody can tell me God can't do anything. Come on. I got off my notes. Sorry. <laughs> Praise God. Oh, my goodness. Woo. Praise God. All right. Here. Whew. Jesus. Mm. So now begins my journey with God that I hated at first and completely denied because I didn't think he ever existed. Immediately, Satan began fighting me with rejection from my friends and family. Same weapons he always used when I was a kid. Also sending people in my path with drugs. Bath salts had just become legal at that time. And I hadn't even been saved for two months. And I was injecting them. And when I did, I could see demonic activity. I could hear them. I could feel them. I was also hearing God's voice at the same time. So you can imagine I was pretty crazy and my family thought I was too. My family actually thought I was in a church cult because I'm telling them I've been set free from homosexuality. They've known me as a homosexual all my life and I'm telling them it's a sin and I've been set free from it. But yet two months later, they're seeing me shoot basalts and they're like, what is going on? So you can imagine, well, this was Satan trying to steal the seed that God had planted in my heart. And he was always trying to make a mockery of the testimony. That's exactly what that is. Satan was trying to make a mockery of the testimony of what God had done for me by making me look like I was going to be strung out on drugs. So eventually my mom kicked me out of her house. She, along with my brother and sister-in-law, believed I was in a cult. One of my mentors suggested that I get a notebook or a journal and I keep track of everything going on. Everything the Lord's telling me, everything I'm seeing. So I did that, and I still have them all the way from 2011. And I'm going to read one section from July 17th, 2011. And this was, the, this was the walk I had with the Lord for years. This is just a piece of it, of him showing me who he really was and building my trust in him. Feeling guilty because Joanne came to get me for church this morning, but I hid from her because I got high again last night. What is wrong with me? God, why won't you deliver me from this like you did from being gay? I know I don't deserve your grace, mercy, or forgiveness, but you gave it to me anyway. I can steal for your love around me. Okay, so now God's telling me to take a shower, pack a Bible, journal, change the clothes, and walk to the church. I guess he's going to make me go to church tonight since I missed it this morning. I got three. Oh, I'm sitting at the church now. Writing what has happened. I got three-fourths of the way to the church, and I was so tired and hot and soaked in sweat, I kept telling him, I'm tired, I can't make it. He kept telling me, I am giving you strength, and you can rest when you get to the church. Well, when me and God arrived, there wasn't any cars in the parking lot, so I said, well, God, nobody's even here. He said to go to the front double doors on the right-hand side that face Burtling Street and go in, go to the bathroom, get cleaned up, and change clothes, so I did. Then I asked, well, what do you want me to do now? He didn't answer me. So here I am in the church, and I'm going to the sanctuary, and the lights are out. I'm going down both corridor hallways, hollering. There's nobody there. Lights are, I mean, it's pitch black in there. And I'm like, what is going on? It's like people don't leave churches unlocked like this. So then the Lord tells me, I want you to go out the east doors and sit on the bench. Somebody's on their way. So I went out the double doors, and I sat on the bench. About five minutes later, a woman named Linda Rhodes, and she'll testify to this, pulled up in her van. And the look on her face was like, what is going on here? She come through that chain link fence, and she said, did somebody just go in them doors? And I said, no, I just come out them doors. She said, no, you didn't. I said, yes, ma'am, I did. She said, how'd you get in? I said, God told me to go. She said, what? I said, God told me to go through the front double doors. And I told her the whole story. I said, I cleaned up in the bathroom. She said, uh, no, she said, take me around the front. So we walk around the front. The doors are locked now. Yeah, it, it was, it was, she said, there's no way I just left this church. Every door was locked in here. She said, I said, I just changed clothes in the bathroom, dude. <laughs> you know, I'd only been, you know, saved for two months and the Lord, this is what he was doing. But my family thought I was nuts. So I believe God was taking me through a time. He was revealing who he really was. Love, faithful patient he was building my trust in him and letting me know that he's a god of detail sounded crazy doesn't it i thought i was nuts <laughs> for a long time i struggled back and forth with the addiction 
I believe and I know that this was rooted in rejection. The Lord has shown me this. There were seasons in my life that I attended 12-step addiction groups. I also went inpatient to drug and alcohol facilities. I graduated. It seemed I could not get free from this deadly cycle. Then in September 2019, my mom had been put in a nursing home from a fall that she had. I remember early in my testimony, I told you about the first child my mom was made to give up, 16 months old. Okay? She had him for 16 months and she gave him up for adoption. She never saw him again. And it grieved her. And when she got old and when she was, had that fall and she was in the nursing home, she would tell me, Lisa Ann, can you try to find him? I just want to know he's okay. I just want to know he got raised right. He, somebody found him and loved him. So a year and four months before my mom passed, he found us. And he was able to fly in to Cape Girardeau and bring my mom flowers and a card and tell her thank you for giving birth to me and to let her know that he had a great upraising in the Lord. He was raised in a Christian family, very strong in the Lord, had a very good family. And, um, yeah, and then when I was 18, the reason why we moved here was the other son that got taken away from her. He found us when I was 18, and we moved here, so she was reunited with her kids. God is faithful. God is love. She wasn't even serving the Lord, but she knew her, he knew her heart. I believe that. She was grieved over her children. God is a God of restoration. He wants to restore the father's heart to the children and the children's heart to the father. I believe that right now in this time, because he's put it on my heart, I'm out there, I'm in, I'm in my apartment on my knees crying out for these kids to forgive their parents and the parents to forgive their kids because of what I went through. It's like I see the enemy so plain killing people with this offense and this spirit of rejection and blaming people because you're a drug addict or you're an alcoholic and it's such a lie. It's a lie and a setup from the enemy himself. He wants you to think that. He wants you to hate them. It's, oh my goodness, Lord, you will have your way in the name of Jesus. Mm. Praise God. Mm. Uh, so uh, my brother Paul and his wife and myself uh, went to go see my mom. This was a month later. Uh, she was sick. And I didn't have a vehicle. She was in Jackson. I'm not going to name the facility because I'm just not. I had That was a whole process I had to go through to forgive them because I was going to sue them. And the Lord told me, you're going to forgive them. And I'm like, no, I'm going to sue them. That took me about a year to work that one out. <clears throat> so we walk in to visit her, and she's sick. And I mean sick, like uh, sick, like running a high fever. She's white as a ghost. She's got poop all over her. Um, took me and my brother three days to argue with them to get her to a hospital. Three days later, they finally took her to the hospital, called an ambulance and took her to the hospital, St. Francis. They immediately admitted her into cardiac ICU, told me she was 80% sepsis, that she had obviously fell and fractured her hip and her pelvis. She had pneumonia. There was a lot of stuff wrong with her. They said they literally just let her lay there. And... um. So anyway, after spending two weeks in St. Francis Medical Center, they came to me and they said, uh, and the doctor, told, two doctors told me, they said, we know that we could be liable in a lawsuit, but we're going to tell you the truth. If they would have got her here sooner, we could have saved her, but there's nothing we can do. Her body is shutting down and she's going to die. Do you want to put her in another facility or do you want to take her home? And I said, she's going home with me. God is so faithful. Do you hear me? My mom was not saved. My mom thought she was saved. She wasn't saved. She thought that little Bible on that coffee table and her being raised in church as a kid was going to get her to heaven. So I was able in that three months that she come home with me, hospice and my family from church was able to minister the love of the Lord to her. And me and my mom were able to forgive each other for things. I'll never forget her taking my hand and telling me, Lisa, and my mom knew nothing about a mother's blessing. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It's in the Bible. It's a parent's blessing. My mother took me by the hand and said, Lisa, forgive me for everything I have ever spoken over you or about you. Forgive me. I love you. And I bless you to go on and live for the Lord 
And she told me, no matter what you do, don't waste your time. Do it with everything you've got. And I have. You hear me? I have. I have sacrificed everything, and I'm willing to sacrifice more for him. Uh, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm finishing up. Um, I'm sorry I'm keeping you all so long. Sorry. Uh, whew, thank you, Jesus. Amen. Um, Romans 8, 28. And we know with great confidence that God, who is deeply concerned about us. I love this scripture. This is the amplified version. Deeply concerned about us causes all things, <laughs> not just some, all things to work together <laughs> as a plan for the good for those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose. <laughs> Praise God. God was and always will be working all things for my good and your good, his purpose and plan and his perfect will. And what is his will? For none to be lost. I think we get so hung up on what is God's will, what I don't know what he wants me to do. He wants you to intercede. He wants you to feed the hungry. He wants you to clothe the poor. It breaks my heart. I'm just going to share something with you. It breaks my heart that there's somebody out there. This actually happened to me. Somebody out there just got saved. They just give their life to the Lord. And this person was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. This girl was all jacked up, you hear me? But I've been there, and I loved her, and she's my neighbor, and I've discipled her. But it's like, like nobody wants to get their hands dirty. What? What is wrong with us? God help us. Or the drug addict who's sticking a needle in their arm. I used to stick a needle in my arm. Well, that's the kind of people you can reach. We can all reach them you got the same Holy Spirit love in you that I do. Come on. We all need to be loved in the hardest core ones that said, I don't need your love. I don't need your crap. They're the ones that need to be loved the most. That's where that stuff comes from. It's from a root of rejection. I don't care how much you deny. I was one of those people too. I was that tough person. You don't tell me. Get out of my face. You're a hypocrite. But deep down inside, I was dying for somebody to love me. For me, for who I was. Genesis 50, 20. You intended to harm me. Satan intended to harm me. All the stuff that I went through. <laughs> but God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. My testimony, his story is saving lives. And I'm going to declare and decree that it's going to save thousands, millions of lives. It's going to set people free and deliver them from all kinds of chains the enemy's tried to bound them with with his lies from the pits of hell. I ain't tolerating it no more. And I'm going to finish with this without going through all the stuff that I went through, without being raped. I'm not saying that that it's okay to do that. But without going through that pain, I couldn't feel that empathy for another. Does that make sense? I could not feel that brokenness of, I know what you're going through. I know what it's like to be so sick and you're trying to hit yourself and you can't. I know what it's like when you're doing nasty, dirty things for money and you hate yourself for it. I know what it's like when you're around your buddies and you're laughing and dancing and you think everything's okay and cool, but when you're alone, you want to die. I know what that is like. I know what that is like. God, I thank you, Lord, for what the message was tonight, Lord, and what you're doing in people's hearts. Father God, I'm grateful that you have your way in me, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you're touching each and every person here, the people who are going to watch this later on video, Father God. I'm asking you to do what you only know what to do. Make a way where there is no way. Set people free that are captive, Lord. Nobody touched me. Nobody laid hands on me. And you set me free, Lord. I say that right now and I declare it, Lord. You, by your Holy Spirit, set the captive free. Heal the broken heart. Give oil of joy for mourning and a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, Lord. Do what only you can do. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.